We are returning today for the final two sermons in my fall sermon series, Family Matters, as we look now at the story of Joseph. Our text this morning is Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 through 11. Hear now the word of the Lord. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children, because he was the son of his old age. And he has made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field. Suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright, then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. He had another dream and told it to his brothers saying, look, I have had another dream. The sun, the moon, and 11 stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, what kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. For the past few months, we have been reading through the book of Genesis, looking at some of our earliest ancestors in our family of faith. If you have been paying any attention, you will surely have noticed how often the mistakes made by one generation seem to show up in their descendants, who never seem to learn any lessons from their parents. And since this is our family story, we shouldn't really be surprised that we tend to do the same. And anyone here who has ever been a parent has surely had that horrifying moment in your life when you hear your father's or mother's words coming out of your own mouth, saying things that you swore you would never say to your children. Of course, psychologists have long since understood the ways that our family dynamics and family dysfunctions tend to get passed from one generation to the next our values and traditions and ways of communicating, as well as our addictions and our control issues and our favoritisms and our codependencies. Perhaps this is what God meant when he told Moses that the sins of the parents would be visited on the children to the third and fourth generations. What our parents did, we tend to do. And what we do, our children will probably do as well, despite their best 
intentions. Well, in our text this morning, we find some of the earliest members, the, the, the mistakes made by some of the earliest members in our family of faith are rearing their ugly heads once again. The favoritism displayed so blatantly by Isaac and Rebecca, who each favored one of their twin sons, reappears as Jacob now plays a heavy favorite to his 11th son, Joseph, because Joseph was the child of his favorite wife, Rachel. And the sibling rivalry we saw in Cain, who resented and even murdered his brother Abel because he was jealous over the affirmation and approval that Abel had received from God, now reappears as Joseph's brothers resent him because he was the only real apple of their father's eye. Now, Jacob always made it quite clear that Joseph was his most beloved son, which fueled his brother's jealousy as he seemed to supplant them and their rightful place as the elder brothers in the family, something Jacob should have understood far too well. To make matters worse, Joseph would often come in from the fields and he would give a bad report about his brothers to their father. Little tattletale. But when their father gave Joseph that special robe with the beautiful long sleeves, it was like pouring gasoline on the fire of their jealousy until it grew into a bonfire of hatred. After all, despite their many years of faithfulness and hard work, it was clear to them all that their father's love and approval was reserved for Rachel's cocky little brat. Perhaps some of you here this morning can empathize with Joseph's brothers. After all, maybe you too felt that you did not receive enough love from one or both of your parents, and maybe you spent your entire childhood, perhaps even your adulthood, trying to earn the love that you felt you did not get enough of through your success and achievements. And maybe you had a sibling who seemed to receive all the love that you did not get enough of because they were your parents' favorites. I wonder, does anyone here have that perfect brother or sister? You know, the one that your parents thought could do no wrong and who always made them so proud, but who always made you want to throw up? <laughs> it's hard going through life always being compared to the gold standard, isn't it? Of course, practically from the moment we are born, we are comparing ourselves to others even if we do not usually do it objectively or consistently. After all, when it comes to things like morals and righteousness, how good of a person we are, we tend to look down. In other words, we compare ourselves to those who are clearly far worse than we are, and that makes us feel pretty good about ourselves. But when it comes to things like money and privilege, and how blessed we have been and how much love we have received, well, we tend to look up. In other words, we tend to compare ourselves to those who seem to have far more of these things than we do, and that makes us feel pretty lousy. This is actually one of the dark and insidious things about social media, where most people are desperate to portray to a watching world a life that is far more perfect than the one they actually live in. 
And so it should come as little surprise that according to social scientists, the more time we spend on social media, the happier we perceive our friends to be, and the less happy we become as a consequence. After all, we know the real truth about our own lives. Of course, perfect Joseph certainly seemed happy and smug enough to his jealous brothers, strutting around in his fancy robe, snitching on them whenever he got the chance. And just when they thought they couldn't despise him anymore, Joseph came to them and told them about a dream that he had had, that they were all out in the fields binding up sheaves of grain. But then his sheaf rose up high and all of their sheaves gathered around and bowed down before his. And as if that didn't enrage them enough, he later told them another dream in which the, the sun and moon and 11 stars, in other words, his parents and brothers, all bowed down before him. That one was even a bit much for old Jacob to swallow. Clearly, self-awareness and humility were not among Joseph's spiritual gifts. Well, one day, while his brothers were out working in the fields tending the flocks, Jacob sent his golden child out to go and check on the brothers and report back to him, a task that I'm sure Joseph relished, especially the reporting part. But when the brothers saw him coming in the distance, they conspired together and said, Here comes this dreamer. Come, let us kill him and throw him into a pit. Then we shall say that a wild animal has killed him, and then we shall see what will become of his dreams. But Reuben, the oldest brother, convinced them to throw Joseph in a pit but not kill him because he planned to sneak back later and rescue the boy. When Reuben was gone, however, Judah suggested that they make a little profit off the runt by selling him to some traders passing by who eventually took him down to Egypt and sold him there as a slave. When Reuben later returned and discovered what had happened, he was devastated because as the oldest son in the family, he was the one most responsible for his little brother. And how would he ever be able to face his father again now? So they came up with a plan. They took Joseph's robe and tore it into pieces and covered it with blood to make it look as if he'd been killed by an animal. And when they brought the robe to Jacob, his grief over the loss of his beloved was so great that no one was able to console him. Even the brothers began to feel guilty about what they had done. And it would be a long time, many, many years, before they would discover that their attempts to squash Joseph's dreams would actually become the very means by which those dreams were fulfilled. As Joseph rose to second in command over all of Egypt, which ultimately became his family's salvation. You see, the brothers thought that they could kill the dream by getting rid of the dreamer. What they did not realize is that Joseph's dreams were from God. The best dreams in life always are. And they're the only ones that truly matter in the end because only God's dreams can save us 
and give us life. I mean, these are, are the dreams of, of hope and peace and joy and love. Dreams for, for healing and forgiveness, reconciliation and reunion. And if those are God's dreams, then we don't have to worry about how those will be fulfilled. That's God's job. Our job is to trust and to remain faithful, even when it appears as if the dream is over. Because if it truly is God's dream, then there is nothing in all of creation that can destroy it. In fact, as Joseph's story makes clear, the attempt to destroy it may become the very thing that God uses to fulfill it. I mean, isn't that what the cross is all about? The religious leaders became jealous and resentful of Jesus because he was so beloved by all the crowds. And the dream that Jesus proclaimed about the upside-down kingdom of grace became a threat to their power and their authority and their privilege. But when Jesus started calling God his Father, claiming that he had a unique relationship with God, that he was God's special, beloved son. Well, it was just too much for them to take. So they conspired together and nailed him to a cross, thinking that they could kill the dream by getting rid of the dreamer. And yet it was through that very cross that God would have accomplished his greatest dream of opening up the gates of eternal life that we might spend eternity in his kingdom, knowing that we are so beloved that Jesus would offer his own life in place of ours so that death might not be the end of our story. Of course, nobody realized that in the moment as Jesus was hanging there on the cross. And there was a lot of, of grief and confusion between Good Friday and, and Easter morning. And there's often a lot of grief and confusion for us as well as we await the fulfillment of God's dreams in our lives. And the truth is, we spend so much of our lives in the middle of the story between Friday and Sunday. And it's often hard to see how it's all going to work out in the end. Heck, sometimes it may even appear as if the dream in our life is dead. I mean, maybe, maybe your marriage has fallen apart, or, or your parents' marriage, or your child's marriage. Maybe your job is a disaster, or, or you're flunking out of school, or, or, or your loved one has had a terrible stroke. Maybe you have been diagnosed with a, an awful disease, maybe even cancer. And maybe, like Joseph, you are deeply grieving the loss of someone dearly beloved to you, wondering how you can go on when it appears that the dream in your life is dead. But the good news of the gospel is that your story isn't finished yet there are still more chapters to be written. 
For God is still at work in mysterious ways as he goes about fulfilling his dreams for your life. Dreams that not even death can put an end to because we have a God who specializes in dead ends. A risen Savior who is willing to go all the way to hell and back if necessary to find you and bring you home. For we have a jealous God who refuses to let death have its way with you. Because you are the apple of his eye and God just couldn't bear the thought of spending eternity without you. And so God has dreamed for you and for me a future filled with hope. But for now, just as with Jacob and his sons, we're still in the middle of the story. And sometimes things can look a bit bleak in the middle. But that's why worship is so important. And while we keep coming back weak after week after week, from here we are reminded of God's dreams for us made flesh in Jesus Christ who comes when we are gathered together to nourish us with his own life and to fill us with his own spirit that we might know who we really are and that we might catch a glimpse of that promised hopeful future that is already breaking in ahead of us for those who have learned to walk by faith and not just by sight. And if we will surrender ourselves to his grace, and put our trust in his dreams, which are always better than our own, then Jesus will sustain us along the way. Even when we lose those we love, until we are all gathered together again at that great banquet in the kingdom of heaven, where Jesus has prepared a place for all those he favors, there's even a special place marked out there just for you. In fact, it even has your name on it. It says, The Beloved.